The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. You may recall that last weekend I mentioned that the word Advent means literally to come to. And it's this season in which the church invites us to reflect upon the Lord Jesus coming to us. Particularly in his coming at Christmas, the first time that he came. And looking forward to the day that he will come again. His glory is coming on the last day. Uh, and so as we go through, um, through the masses and the prayers of this season, we hear it over and over again. The references to the coming of Jesus. And it's important for us to reflect on those things. And so for, uh, for, these, for these remaining three weeks of the Advent season, we like to look at those comings. Today we'll reflect briefly on the, uh, or maybe not so briefly, depending on your view, uh, of Christmas, the first coming of the Lord. Next weekend we'll look at uh, His coming in glory. And the weekend after that, the fourth weekend of Advent, we'll look at the ways in which He comes to us in the meantime, the ways in which the Lord makes himself present to us and available to us on the days between his coming at Christmas 2,000 years ago and the glorious coming whenever it may be. And so to reflect upon the first coming of the Lord, that first advent, the nativity, the day when Jesus was born to the Blessed Virgin Mary, I want to begin by just asking the simple question, why does it matter? Again, if you remember, the purpose of these homilies going forward is really to just ask the basic questions. So why does Christmas matter at all? Why is it that on Christmas we come and we celebrate with even greater solemnity, that the church gets decorated much more, we put lights around here, there, and everywhere, we have special music, we have special song. All throughout our life, we experience this joy, in a sense, that's supposed to accompany the Christmas season. 
And not only for us who are here pretty regularly, but even for those who are not particularly close to Christ, there's something still about the Christmas season that speaks to them. It happens so much so it's so regular in the, in the Catholic faith that we, we know that on Christmas and Easter, there are a large number of people, our brothers and sisters, who come to show up for Mass. We call them the Christmas and Easter Catholics. It's a regular thing. We've named them. But there's this reality that, that a large group of people who are not otherwise here are drawn by the mystery and the celebration of Christmas. And the question is, why? Why is it that the whole world rejoices in that time? The simple answer I would suggest to you, whether we know it or not, is reconciliation. Our first reading today from Isaiah He speaks of the days that the Lord will come, the days when Christ would be made manifest. Looking forward to his first coming, Isaiah writing some 600 or so years prior to the birth of Jesus. And so he's looking forward to the day. And he says, these are the things that will mark the arrival of the Savior. There will be a time of peace and a time of harmony. There will be justice in the land and no longer are these great divisions and separations. He goes even further to manifest that it's not just humanity that is affected, but even the animals. The strange and striking images that we see of the wolf and the lamb lying next to each other. Of the calf and the lion being friends. Of how the lion will eat hay on that day. A sign of the harmony and the reconciliation of creation. I was reminded of the Creation Museum, a museum built by uh, fundamentalist Protestants up in Kentucky, not far from my, my dad's house. And we went there after it was completed. And it was going through, and it, it, it's from their perspective, a, a, a completely biblical account, non-scientific, uh, essentially, account of what creation would have looked like uh, according to the scriptures and what the timeline would have looked like for the world. And one of the things that I, that I laughed at and, and I was intrigued by was they said that Noah's Ark, at the time of Noah's Ark, they still had the dinosaurs. And so their claim was that on the Ark, they had the T-Rexes. And by a miracle of God, the T-Rexes did not eat all the other animals for the course of 40 days and 40 nights. Rather, the T-Rex calmed its nature and ate hay. And I kind of laughed. I said, I'm not really sure I'm buying the whole T-Rex eating hay thing. But, okay, I said, I can, you know, from my perspective, a poor theology. But what they were getting at, the the deeper thing they they were trying to harmonize was that creation is not supposed to be against one another, but rather there's supposed to be this fundamental harmony that the lion and the lamb should be able to be next to each other without harm. But such is not the case. But it was in the beginning. If we think back to Genesis, the first, the first days of creation, we see that the Lord God, he created all things. He created the heavens and the earth and all the things of the earth, and he created all the animals, and he created the human person. Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them. And everything he created, he saw that it was good. And he looks out, and he rejoices these things. Adam and Eve were created in what the church calls original holiness, original justice. There was no division, there was no separation between humanity and God and creation. There was no separation, nothing. 
How many times have we come to prayer and we've been distracted by other things? How many times have we not gone to prayer because we had other things we needed to do or felt that we needed to do at least? How many times have we struggled with the will of God because it doesn't make sense to us because what I seem to want and what God seems to want are two different things? That's not how it was supposed to be, though. Genesis describes the relationship of humanity with God as purely perfect. That God walked with them in the garden. Not that God was walking two by two on, his, on legs or anything. But it was a, a symbolic and a, a description that there was complete union. There was no separation. But that came to cease with the choice of sin. Adam and Eve, whenever they chose to eat of the tree of which they should not have eaten, everything changed. And this is the point that I think is important for us, that everything changed. A lot of times we just focus on on the person, that Adam and Eve were changed. But it wasn't just Adam and Eve, it was all creation. Adam and Eve, we recognize that immediately after they sin, they hide from each other. They see each other's nakedness and they're ashamed. So that shows that two relationships have already been broken by sin. The relationship with other people and the relationship with myself. Whereas I used to have harmony in my nakedness, now there's discomfort and shame because of what they've done. And they hide from each other. And not only from each other, but from God. Because when God comes back to the garden, in a sense, when they go back, when the Lord comes and makes himself manifest, they hide in the bushes, fearful of what God would say. So many divisions have happened just in that one event. But it doesn't stop there. The scriptures speak of the Lord God coming to Adam and he's saying, on account of you, on account of your sin, even the earth is cursed now. Because of you, you have to toil by the sweat of your brow to bring forth food. And the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles. It used to be a a, a harmonious relationship of God and man, especially with the earth. But now it's divided. For those of you who don't like to go out and labor in the fields and you get upset whenever you get thorns and thistles or you walk in the yard, then things stuck in your foot and you get hopping around cursing things, you can thank one person. His name's Adam. All creation is cursed. Because it's not just us, you and me, but it's the whole world, it's written into everything that exists that we're waiting for a Savior. We're longing for a Savior. We're longing to be reconciled and go back to the way it was supposed to be. St. Paul speaks of it explicitly in his letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter. He says, the whole creation has been groaning and travail together till now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, as we await adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The whole of creation is groaning, is longing for reconciliation. Longing for it. The lion and the lamb, they don't know it, they can't use words to explain it, but they want to be reconciled. And that's what Christ comes to bring. And that's why we celebrate Christmas with such joy. Because whether a person knows it or not, whether, we, whether a person believes in Jesus or follows Jesus, every human heart and everything in all creation knows in the depth of our being that on December 25th, something has happened. 
They may not explain it in such words. We may call it just family tradition or whatever we want. But that's something that speaks to the human heart and draws us to church on December 25th is a longing of our hearts for reconciliation. The longing to be healed. To go back to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning, but is not now. It's not something we have to learn. It's written into our nature. We want reconciliation. We want it badly. That's why we celebrate the joy of Christmas. Because we recognize that Christ has come and he's taken on our flesh. That Christ, in a sense, he's become, he's come and made himself a bridge. The great divide between God and humanity, he made it as a bridge as he spread out his arms on the cross for us. For us to be united once more, to be reconciled with God, but also with each other and with ourselves. We know that this isn't completed yet because we still struggle with God, we still struggle with others, and we still struggle with sin in ourselves. It's a process of allowing the Lord to reconcile us little by little, to heal us little by little. And so we come week after week to experience Christ in the flesh once again here in the Eucharist, to allow Him to reconcile us where sometimes we're not even aware that there's divisions. So that's my invitation to you this week, to reflect on where in your life, where in your heart, You need reconciliation. Because every one of us does. Not a single one of us is perfectly reconciled with everyone and everything. There's always at least a little something. St. John the Baptist comes and he says, prepare the way. Clear all the stuff. Get ready for the Lord to come. Let's work on the reconciliation. Allow it to come in its fullness. What is your struggle today? with yourself, with your own heart. The things that we struggle with in our sin, to bring it to the Lord and to pray for healing. Reconciliation with other people. Most often, 99% of the times, it's somebody we love and they're a family, our flesh and blood. And we know that that happens because we love people deeply, and so we say things because we know that they love us so much they'll probably forgive us. Well, sometimes it doesn't happen. allow reconciliation to take place either to extend it or to receive it and not only that with others but with the Lord himself too to draw close to God to know that sometimes our love grows a little cold that the divisions are separated there between us that we allow ourselves to build up walls because of whatever it is that keeps us away from him It's an invitation to prepare the way, to be reconciled. The Lord came 2,000 years ago and we will celebrate it once again in just a few short weeks. Let us pray that the grace of the Lord will be with us today to help us to begin and continue that reconciliation that he came to be able to effect within our hearts. Let us draw close to the heart of Jesus. Let us be reconciled. Come, O come, Emmanuel.